Hi, everybody. Happy Friday. This is Dr. Trishtika with Fix Your Crown Podcast. I am really ex- excited. We have a long time, wow, partner since 2017 with Ashanti Davis. Ashanti, tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Happy Friday, everyone. Um, I'm Ashanti Davis. I am the exhibition manager with the Fleet Science Center in San Diego, and I am an artist. I am a thinker, a thought leader, uh, currently a student, um, and almost done actually in a master's program at the end of this year. And um, yeah, I am an advocate for social justice and change within arts and culture um, because they are spaces that transformed my life. And um, I want to be able to have uh, create spaces that have that same transformational power um, for people who look like me um, and like so many of our communities who are not seen in those spaces. So that is that is the work that I that is the work that I do. I would say every day. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm really excited about our topic today, everyone. We're going to be talking about having a therapist as a black woman, and I wanted to ask Ashanti a few questions about therapy. What does she do for her therapy? What's her self care? And not giving advice, but what's good for her may not be good for you. So Ashanti, tell me about how did you find your therapist? Yeah, so I am so grateful to have such amazing healthcare with my work um, and kind of became at this moment where I decided for myself that, okay, I need to go. I would like to have a therapist, not I need to go to therapy, that I would like to have a therapist just to have that space for someone to have conversation with in a non- you know, it's not a non-judgmental environment, someone who is, uh, you know, third party, not connected. And really the therapy in that space for me was for continuing to do my work in arts and culture and as a kind of emerging leader in this space as well, because as a black woman, there are not very many of us um, in this field, but I'm in museums um, and there are not very many black people as far as like finding mentors, you know, they're few, we are few and far between. Um, and so just having a space where I could kind of have those conversations about kind of challenges and things that I was experiencing in my work um, to keep my gray hairs popping <laughs> in too early. Um, and just, yeah, that space of, that space of calm and that space to really have more kind of control over, control over me and kind of being present um, with me and kind of understanding kind of some things that might come up and how to better manage those. So that was really the, um, the joy and the hunt for finding a, finding a therapist. Um, mm-hmm. And I found one, I'm so grateful for that too, especially um, before the pandemic. <laughs> um, and being able to have that therapist was already in place before the pandemic and being able to continue and um, meet with them regularly even through that through that pandemic um so it's it's been a it's been a so far a wonderful experience um to kind of i don't know set aside what feels like a stigma around going to therapy um for for black and brown women so Mm -hmm. now what made you pick a therapist are you going through any anxiety any depression what was the main thing that you wanted to do My impetus was really, again, around that kind of just emerging space and leadership. Like I, I wanted to be able to better, better prepare myself mentally for the things that I might experience um, down the line, right? So it's like, it's not, it was more of a, um, you know, like, it's not, 
I didn't wait until I had a problem. <laughs> it was more like I wanted to explore this now so that way I could better equip myself with the tools to address the things that might come up in the future. So more, um, what is that? More proactive or more, um, right? It's like taking vitamins. <laughs> Something hasn't happened, but yes. let's think about how I can support that. So that's really, that was really the reason why I chose that. That is amazing. And I like that you chose to do it before you got into a situation. So something wouldn't pop off, they would say, <laughs> during a situation. So great job. Um, how do you deal with any kind of anxiety? Do you have anxiety when you're doing something? I know you're a student. So what gets you into a settlement of, you know, of your space? Yeah, I can't say that I've, I cannot say that I have to date experienced too much um, anxiety, perhaps in the ways that other people might. So mm -hmm. as an artist, I tend to default to creative mechanisms first. Yeah. Um, and then I have a long time of like, just, a, um, I started doing yoga when I was 22, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, and just kind of learning and I have my own practice. I do my own practice at home. You know, mm -hmm. it's not, I don't need to go to classes and kind of be in that space with other people to do, um, my practice so I can do that at home and just, um, <laughs> meditating and just kind of, um, but I think really the, the hands-on, um, for me as a therapeutic process making things is a therapeutic process for me. Actually, um, cooking is a therapeutic process for me. And it's kind of all of these ways that, uh, what, things that we might call, you know, self-care. Um, and those are all things that are ways that I kind of care for myself in those moments when I feel anxious. Like I think the other day, uh, <laughs> I was probably feeling anxious after work and I like stopped by my mom's house to say hi. And she was working on like a craft project. And I, she was like, she asked for help. And then I just took it over. <laughs> it's like my project now, you know? And it's just like, you know, I, I am the happiest if I have like a glue gun and just all of my art supplies around. Right. <laughs> um, the other day I finished, uh, I have a, um, a dream catcher that's actually over my bed. We wanted to, um, I really enjoy crafting. And so mm -hmm. for my birthday, um, with a group of friends, we made dream catchers and I had started mine, um, mm -hmm. and hadn't finished it. And so it's been a nice process to be able to kind of finish it. And so what went from this small kind of overbed hang, I repurposed it and turned it into a much larger now dream catcher and reincorporating mm -hmm. some of the original components, but just the process of doing that, um, just the kind of repetitive process of having to make it, it's incredibly, incredibly therapeutic, um, wow. for me. One thing that I like about Ashanti, everyone's listening, she has the most prettiest smile <laughs> that lights up a room. Um, 2017, um, I had an opportunity to work with Ashanti. Um, we do a lot of things in the community for youth and young adults. And um, while, you know, we reconnected, Ashanti told me a little thing of that she did and it was um a budget can you tell us about the budget you were talking about that i haven't done mine yet but i'm getting there <laughs> i would encourage everyone to do i absolutely love it i've shared it out with so many people so um i'm in a master's program at the moment for museum studies and doing a certificate in nonprofit management with johns hopkins and um for my leadership course there was uh as we kind of as leaders in, in any spaces 
Um, we had an article that we read that really resonated with me. There's a critical part about leadership that actually requires you as a leader to care for yourself so that you can better care for other people. And like, most people don't tell you that, right? Like you feel like the leader is the person who's like most stressed out and tapped out at the top. But that piece for me was like super critical. It's like, of course we have to care for ourselves um, so that we can care for other people. That makes so much sense. And so in that class, same class, our final project or our final assignment was to do our leadership plan. And then another the assignment just before it was an activity called our emotional budget. And so this is a, um, a hyper allergic article that it's a you know, very quick thing. And so if you could imagine sitting down and making a pie graph, you can draw it or you can use a, a digital format and essentially um, making a pie chart and it has to add up to 100 that represents all of the things right now that you are um, spending your emotional budget on. So you might be worrying about things you don't have control over. You might be worrying about your health. You might be worrying about money. You might be worrying about politics. You right. So all of these things begin to add up. And as you put them down, you look at that and go, oh, my God, that is your emotional budget. That is what you are committing all of your emotional energy to and when you look at that i hope you're exhausted i know i was exhausted when i look at mine i was like oh my god um and so as that process they invited us to think about what would we want our emotional budget to look like four years from now mm -hmm. and so i went through the process of mapping my own emotional budget to look at four years from now and the the staggering difference of being able to think about okay here's what i'm thinking about right now but here's what i want to think about and so when you look at those two differences you can begin to think about how do you prioritize um, letting go of some of that stuff that you don't have control over and letting go of some of this the um the stuff that's eating up your emotional bandwidth and then think about how do you begin to prioritize the things that you want to be spending your emotional budget on mm. um, and that was a really kind of, it was just a really nice process to be able to do that and kind of to have a sigh of relief, but also to have something to continue to reflect back on, to look at and go, okay, or to look at the one you have right now and be like, why, why am I committing energy to this? And so I actually did that right before the pandemic started. Wow. <laughs> that, was, that was the end of 2019 and then 2020 happened. Um, and then as a part of my, my leadership um, goal setting for myself that that self-care piece was super critical mm -hmm. um, and so that kind of then the pandemic started and so it kind of was a nice way to especially the pandemic where it may have seemed very kind of chaotic and stressful for so many people um, for me also being in school and still working and having this tool it was like you know what I am going to commit this space and time that's been given to us mm -hmm. where you can't go out and do things you shouldn't you should generally stay home to spending more time committing to caring for me Mm -hmm. um, so that I could continue to care for others. So it was a really, it was, um, it was timely. <laughs> it was timely. Um, Very on time. <laughs> super grateful for it. Mm -hmm. And where can they find that resource? Yeah, it's a hyperallergic um, article. So if you, and hyperallergic is an online, uh, online magazine. Uh, I love hyperallergic because they tend to have more creative stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and then it's hyperallergic. And then just look up emotional budget. Um, and it's an amazing, and I think if we send this out as a resource, I would happily send out the article 
Um, and anyone can reach out to me and I would love to share with you my emotional budget. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when she told me about this, everyone who's listening, I was like emotional resource. We went through it, you know, online and it's a very good tool. And I think that's a, especially when you're in leadership, when you think about all the things that you're, you know, you're doing in the community, you have so many projects. This is a great tool to use. So Miss Ashanti, who or what inspires or motivates you to do what you do in your community? So I, I, I say, and I say this in every space, first and foremost, I am an artist. Um, that, is a, that is a critical area of importance um, for me and my identity. So when I, um, about 13, my, my father passed away. Um, he had pancreatic cancer. And that was like a hard time for like a, a, <laughs> a new teenager, right? Not 12, 13, but just right. out of high school. So like a totally very, um, I would say chaotic experience for me mm -hmm. and um, just family. And so um, I had mentioned why my commitment to just arts and culture in these spaces. So I, it was my brother's graduation from boot camp, went to boot camp, and we, so we went to Chicago, my mom and I, mm -hmm. and I think it was my, around my 16th birthday, and we went to the Art Institute there. And I remember um, we were able to kind of walk around and see some of the contemporary, contemporary works um, and I, it was the first time I had met, uh, Jackson Pollock, right? And so most people, of course, know Jackson Pollock, these kind of just very messy looking, um, messy looking <laughs> painting. And so I actually had a really kind of, I felt, would have felt like a really deep connection with the Jackson Pollock where, um, and most people don't think about this, but art is, art tends to be, um, a, the emotional expression of the person who created it. Mm -hmm. um, and so it, later on in life, I would learn more about Jackson Pollock and how, you know, he was um, an alcoholic and depressed and would, he actually painted on his canvases. And so that style that he used, the drip technique, um, is a, was an emotional expression of, of just who he was and the chaos he was experiencing. So at 16, I had a deep kind of connection with this Pollock piece. And it really, I think, I felt like I saw myself in it. You know, I felt like I saw what I was feeling in it. Um, and so it wouldn't be until I did my undergrad where I actually majored in art, um, my degrees in art design and media. And I um, had a, um, my own experience of processing my emotions through an art form. Um, and so that kind of process, the connection and being able to have in, connection that being able to have in, um, in a museum with, uh, with an object, uh, with a painting in this sense, um, that was just such a critical, a critical moment for me. And so that's something that I look back on as a critical moment for my own, for my own mental health um, mm -hmm. and being able to process my emotions and um, just kind of understand where I was. And essentially, I think, um, breathing life back into me, I think, especially because it probably, I think processing my father's death probably took something like maybe 10 years, you know? I think I made that artwork um, in my senior year of college. So I would have been 21. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 21. So wow. maybe sometime around 23, uh, maybe a little bit later, really finally beginning to kind of feel, you know, some kind of life again. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, that's kind of the other reason why that creative process is so critical to me. So being in museums and being connected in these spaces, it's really that opportunity again to um, create the spaces that allow people who perhaps share um, share some of my identities or don't, or some of my experiences to have those same connections. But we know that museums, at least from my perspective and working in them, they are, they tend to not be very diverse, not in the subject matter, um, in the representation in them and the people who work there. And so people who look like me may not go, may not have those experiences or that sense of value in these spaces. So I want to change that because I think that um, we should all be able to have moments of connecting with something, be it someone or something um, in a space like this. And um, we should all have that opportunity and there should not be barriers um, to our participation. Right. With our listeners, you know, we have um, youth and teenagers. And I know you said earlier in the interview, there's not a lot of people in your field that look like you. How can we change that? If there is a young teen and young adult who loves the arts, loves the museum, how can they get started in your field to change that narrative? Oh, get it. If you want to, like, yeah, if you want to work, I know when I started working here at my museum, and I work at a science center, so it's a little bit different from working in an art museum, but um, I started working in our makerspace just kind of as a part-time position, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and if, if that creativity is something that you're interested in, go for it. Um, find, find those people who you might be able to talk to. And I'm one and there, we are growing immensely. I think in, in this field, we are growing, but it still takes time, but, um, go for it. Um, if these kinds of things are interested for interesting to you, go for it. Um, (laughs) and I would say, don't be, don't be deterred. Um, Mm -hmm. we are, I think, um, especially Black people, um, we are resilient, um, and the this field is changing. It's actually changing now faster than it was before. But go for it. Look for an organization. Um, don't take no for an answer. Um, go for it until and if and if there is um, if there are no opportunities out there that you can get into, do something for yourself make something on your own, like start something, find a group of friends and start something, form a collective and start something. Um, But I would say um, just go for it and um, persevere and um, tap into your um, ancestral knowledge and your ancestral energy and just go for it. You have to go for it. And that's the one thing that a lot of us are struggling with because it's just like, why should I do it? And it's like, no, you can do it. Ashanti, our last question, and this one is really, everyone thinks about it, but give us three words that describes who you are. Powerful. Mm -hmm. Empathetic. Mm queen. Oh. <laughs> I thought, I'm like, is that cocky of me? I, um, so, and there's a reason for, I, I would say there's a reason for that. So my, um, the name Ashanti, it's not 
after the singer Ashanti. That's what I got a lot growing up. It's like, are you named after the singer? I'm like, no, I'm not named after someone who might be two years older than me. My <laughs> parents were not, no, that didn't happen. So um, the name Ashanti is a name from, um, from Africa, from West Africa, from Ghana. And the Ashanti is a tribe. Um, one of uh, one of the most revered tribes in in Africa for at its time at the height of its time, um, and there were a number of nations who were revered in the same way. But I'm named after the Ashanti, and they named actually their kings and queens Ashanti. And so um, I am named after kings and queens. So I'm just going to toss out queen. I'm a powerful. I'm a powerful, empathetic queen. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm excited, everyone. Thank you for listening to this amazing woman. She is an artist, she's an activist, and she is a queen. Thank you once again, everyone. This is Dr. Tristica with Ashanti Davis, and we are done and finished with this amazing interview for a Fix Your Crown podcast. Stay tuned. <laughs>